0: Amen. All right, Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6 verse 1. This is one of my favourite passages of Scriptures. Like if you you said to me, hey, if you could go anywhere in the Bible when you're feeling down or melancholy or depressed, this one, Isaiah 6. I love Isaiah 6. It's interesting that it's Isaiah 6, not Isaiah 1. This is not the opening chapter of Isaiah. It's Isaiah 6, which means he's kind of started out on serving God before he has an encounter with God. Because as Isaiah, anyway, let's have a look. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. In heaven there are different classes of angels, different species just like on earth there are different species in heaven, it's the same. There are seraphim, cherubim, living creatures, elders. There are all kinds of angelic hosts. And uh, the seraphim are one of the highest orders. Six wings, they're, they're mighty. And it says, uh, these had six wings. They, two, they cover their face. Two, they cover their feet. With two, they fly. One cries out to another saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. The post of the door was shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a a live coal which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Here I am. If you, if you said to me, Hey, Pastor, what, what, what prayer? What, what, what prayer could I pray that would like accelerate my life into the things of God? That one right there here I am, send me. If you said, hey, Pastor, what 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 prayer could I pray that could really stick it to the devil? the devil? The devil robbed us last year. The devil took stuff from us last year. The devil really came in like a flood last year. If I wanted to stick it to the devil, what prayer could I pray? Pray this prayer, God, here I am, send me. The devil doesn't want you to live a life that is surrendered to God. The devil doesn't want you to be on fire for God. Now, you need to understand that in the book of Genesis, verse, uh, in the first chapter, the Bible says, God said, let us make man in our image. That, that speaks of purpose. That speaks of intent. God had a purpose. So he said, let us make man. But in Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says that God formed the man. God formed the man. So here God purposes, but in Genesis 2, God processes. There is a process for every purpose. Nothing exists without purpose. This pulpit exists because there must be a way that we can, for a preacher, have a way where he can put his Bible, his notes, his stuff down so he can preach. And so the pulpit, the, the pulpit exists but it exists because there was a purpose that innovated, invented, created the pulpit. I have a microphone which amplifies my voice because there was a, there was a, uh, a question, how, how, how do we not wear the pastor out if he's preaching? How do we make sure that everybody, no matter where they're seated, can hear? So the microphone was created, but it was created with a purpose. One of the great lies of the devil is that you are created without a purpose? It is one of the greatest lies fabricated on a generation ever. Began in the 19th century, uh, Charles Darwin just kind of throwing out maybe some random ideas, the origin of the species, that somehow through billions or trillions of perfectly sequenced random acts, random acts, no intelligence, no intelligence, just random acts, you happen to climb out of the primordial soup, develop a spine and you know and and become who you are today just just randomly just just billions and trillions of years but the lie of evolution says that you came from nothing you're going nowhere and there's no point or reason or purpose for you actually to be here and then we scratch our heads in bewilderment and we wonder why we have a, a teenage suicide Epidemic. We wonder why we have young people on antidepressants. We wonder why we have people with a motto on their T-shirt, life be out of it, of course, because they don't know why they're here. There are two great days in every human being's life. Day number one, the day you were born. Day number two, the day you discover why. Number one, the day you were born, this world got a gift. You are a gift to this world. When you enter this world, God didn't. Hey, you may say, I'm not a gift to this world. My mother was a prostitute. You don't understand. I was a product. I'm not saying that how you were delivered. I'm telling you, you are a gift. You are meant to be here. You are fearfully and wonderfully made and nothing exists, nothing exists that doesn't exist by purpose. You do not exist without a purpose. There is a reason for you being here. So day number one is the day you were born, but day number two is the day you discover why. The day you discover the why for your when is an unbelievable day. The goal of the church, the goal of God through the church, the goal of the Holy Spirit is to awaken, is to arouse, is to quicken to you the longing and the gnawing to the question on the inside of you, why am I here? What purpose am I meant to fulfill? You have a mission. You have an assignment. And and the reason that this is an all-in weekend is because the greatest way to accelerate and fast-track the discovery of your purpose is to begin to serve. As you begin to serve, you will find that God is going to begin to reveal things to you. Now, let me just say this, that In this life, you and I, in God, will always be in one of two states, one of two phases. We're either in a test or in a trust. We're in a test or in a trust. And uh, God is, is awesome. He's always looking to promote us. So what He does is He tests us. And the test is not designed for your failure, but for your promotion. God isn't looking for what you don't know. Ha ha, you didn't know that file. That's not God. That's the other guy. God, God takes you through things because God is always trying to get things through you. So He takes you through things to see how many things He can get through you. God is always trying to elevate you. This has played out in my life. This is my testimony because I got saved on a beach when I was 18. A few years later, I feel the call to go to Bible school, leave engineering. And uh, and God, I look back now, and there's this this. Naughty little pattern! Don't tell me God isn't mischievous, because so look, there's this naughty little pattern of God's, where there was always two options before me: one incredibly pleasing to the flesh, the other one ew, abhorrent to the flesh, and uh, and God's always been in that one, horrible. So, uh, leaving engineering, I want to go to I, I feel called to, to to you know become a pastor, become a minister, serve Jesus, and so option A is to stay where I am. At Wollongong Church of Christ, they have a theological seminary there. The senior minister takes me out and says, if I will go to that college, the fees are half the price of this other college. I can stay at home and don't have to move out, keep enjoying mama's cooking. Hello. Come on, how good is that? Mama's home cooking, you know, so good. Not only that, but they would guarantee me a job as the youth pastor at the new location they were starting in a place called Kayama, which was where my Leanne was born. So I'm like, that's Jesus. The other place, twice the, twice the expenses. I thought, well, I'll just put a courtesy call. Maybe they offer, maybe they offer. So I call them up, hey, do you also you know, guarantee me a job when I graduate? They're like, eh, we don't guarantee anybody a job. I'm like, well, I ain't going there. I ain't, wh- wh- <laughs> you just lost that, you know, I ain't going there. Why would I go there? You know, and so, so, so I'm, I start filling out the, the paperwork and there's no peace. Now, there's a Noah in the Bible, but there's also a Noah in here. Did you know that? When you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive the Spirit of truth. The Bible says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. So every time I've kind of made a wrong decision, and sometimes, you know, oh, man, do I go left? Do I go right? You don't know which way to go. Uh, so you just got to make a decision. You know, you can't be, you know, analysis by paralysis or paralysis by analysis. Just make a decision, and then, ah, there's peace. That's yeah, the right way. No peace? Ah, you know. Yeah. So anyway, so let, peace. Anyway, so no peace. So I realize, I'm like, sure, God, surely I don't know anybody. It's twice as expensive. You hurt them. They don't guarantee it. But no, God says, that's the one you're going to. You're going to get out of your home. You're going to move three and a half hours drive away to a city you've never been, to people you don't know. I don't know where I'm going to stay. I don't know how I'm going to do this thing. And God was like, yeah, because I'm not trying to take you to Bible school to fill your head with theological knowledge. I'm trying to take you on a journey where instead of filling your head with theological knowledge, I'm filling your heart with faith. Faith is spelled T-R-U-S-T, faith, T-R-U-S-T. Because I need you, anybody can turn the light on and then step into the room. He says, I need you when the light is dark to step in because I'm calling knowing that I am your light knowing that I am your God knowing that I am there and I'll lead you and guide you so can you trust that I'm going to provide can you trust that as you step out and go to this that I'm going to provide every need I'm going to provide accommodation but I don't know anybody how's it going to how's it going and and, and God because God knew that if I couldn't take that baby step how could He ever take on the baby step go to San Diego buy this building take that territory get 160 acres for emergency. He knew that the faith for that had to be planted in here as a seed, so to be a recipient. So instead, I end up at Power Ministry School, PMS. <laughs> I, I don't know why they changed it. True story. My, my, uh, my Bible college certificate has PMS. Juergen, graduated, high distinction, PMS. Power Ministry School. Today is known as Hillsong College, but back then it was PMS. <laughs> after, after finishing my, my Bible school, two options again, two options again. Option A, Gold Coast, Palm Beach, Assemblies of God Church. And if you look at it, literally, the church is here, there's a, a street, and there's the sand, and there's like the ocean. And I'm like, that's Jesus. In fact, from my office window, I would have been able to see the ocean. I'm like, this is Jesus. But it gets better. Not only was I offered the job there to be the youth pastor, it was youth pastor slash. Now, you know when there's a slash. It's like, you know, it's like the, the steak knives. But wait, there's more. You're like, what? I'm, I'm already sold on the steak knives. But wait, there's more. You know, for Four easy payments of $29.95. we throw in this monkey wrench. <laughs> a monkey wrench? I need a monkey wrench. <laughs> Honey, we got monkeys around here. I'm getting a wrench. You know, it's like, and so, so there was a slash. It was, I wasn't just the youth pastor. It was the youth pastor slash associate pastor. Because Brad probably have already discovered this. When you tell people you're a, a youth pastor, not everybody's kind of impressed. Some people almost kind of look at you like, oh, you're a glorified teenage babysitter. You know, but, but nobody looks down on associate pastor. Oh, oh, oh you're, oh, you're the, the associate pastor. And so I'm like, oh, this, this is part-time salary. I'm like, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. But, you know, option B was to go to Manukau City, New Zealand. Where is it? Where is the Manicown industry? Well, if, if the globe was like a human body, it would be the armpit. It would be the armpit of the world. And uh, it's not a pretty place. And so, uh, so, so they, they're offering me to be the youth pastor, but they ain't got no salary. And not only that, that year... Uh, nine, 1991. It was the it was the uh, second most dangerous city in the southern hemisphere to Johannesburg because there's all this gang wars going on between the Samoans and the Tongans uh, in New Zealand where there was like machete like fights and gang fights and one guy was decapitated, another guy lost an arm, another guy lost an eye, you know. And so and so I'm like, I ain't going there. Yeah. Yeah. That's not ain't that a- Gold Coast here I come, woohoo baby. And oh, what's going I'm like, surely, <laughs> come on, God, you can't be. Oh, dear God, He's... it's Manukau. I don't, what part of, do you not like me? What is it? It's like, <laughs> so no peace on the Queensland. I know we've got to go to, to Manukau. Manukau, when we look back, and you would have heard me tell some stories, and I, and I, I don't want to, You know, I certainly don't want any kind of sympathy. Um, but they were difficult years, but I, I promise you they were difficult years intentionally by God. God saw the dysfunction in me and he knew the dysfunction in me would never would never uh, be forced to be addressed if I was surrounded by function. Wow. because I could just I could just feed off their function, And never really deal with my dysfunction. So God took all the dysfunction in me and put me into a highly dysfunctional environment where, you know, there was tears, there was injustice, there was just, you know, all kinds of nastiness, nastiness that I didn't think, because I thought, you know, church, oh my gosh, the saints as we're called in the bible oh my gosh like it's going to be fantastic you know we're going to sit around when we're bored and just play kumbaya my lord kumbaya oh lord kumbaya someone's crying lord get him tissues get him tissues kumbaya that's what i'm thinking something is going to be man i met some of the most nastiest pieces of Dear G- like nasty and cruel. And I'm like, listen, if this heaven thing don't work out, I know a guy with a pitchfork and who'd hire you in a heartbeat. Oh, you could be like his assistant. It's like, I mean, dear G- I'm telling you, that's what it was like. And so, but true story, if I look back now, even though my flesh would never choose any of those seven years, what God did in those seven years, I, would never ch- I wouldn't change one day. I would not change one day because it forced what I didn't want to address, what I didn't want to deal with. I honestly believe it was God's testing to see how much He could be trusting. I honestly believe. That a lot of the stuff that he's trusting us or he's able to trust us with today was because of the testings of what what we went through back then. So after seven years of that, two little, two beautiful little baby boys, Jordan and Ashley, born, the little kiwis. Uh, we uh, we we have two options again. One was to serve the gentleman who's going to be preaching here tonight, Pastor Paul Dejong. Uh, Biggest church in New Zealand, unbelievable leader, apostolic leader, great father in the faith, just a powerhouse. And, you know, salary, the whole thing, that's Jesus. Option B, go back to Australia and serve Phil Pringle. Northern beaches, no salary, no promise. And uh, Pastor Phil even reiterated that uh, they've never hired from the outside. So my chances of being employed there, very, very low. And I'm like, okay, God, well, he's obviously, they don't hire from the out. I'm an outside, that's, I'm going here. You're doing it again. Why are you so, we're gonna go and serve Pastor Phil, but there's no salary, and I've got two little kids. Not only that, but we start, you know, selling everything, and I've got two cars, and so I'm, you know, trying to make, because the northern beaches of Sydney really expensive, so I'm trying to, trying to, if I can get the right amount of money, we've got this many months where we can survive. And then the Holy Spirit says, don't sell the car, give the car away. (laughs) Ah, Have you looked at this ledger? Have you looked at my little budget here? Yeah, see here like this is what we need to live and we can't make it by selling both cars. So yeah, you actually need to, and he's like, give the car away. Then he starts talking to my wife. (laughs) Now, Pastor John will identify with this. That for some reason God revels in ganging us up on us men by getting our wives in agreement with him. All of suddenly Ann's like, yeah, I just feel like you know God's telling us to give it away. I'm like, what, you now too? I'm like, God, what 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 is this? And he's like, because you won't listen, I had to talk to her. I'm like, Stop! Oh, what the heck? Stop! Gang it up, it's two against one, it's not fair, God. And, uh, and I'm trying to give God, you know, all the reasons why, you know, and I'm like, God, you've just been listening to Red Hot Chili Peppers. Give it away, give it away, give it away. And, you know, and, uh, you know I'm not doing it. I'm not do-. So I'm fighting, fighting. And uh, finally I realise, all right, all right, give the freaking car away. And so we give the car away to this, you know, this, this couple who were pastors and they only had one car and so I gave the car away and even then I'm chasing it down the street going, oh, I'll take a cheque. If you want to make a donation, oh, I can always sell it if you don't like it. You know, it's like, I'm like, oh, man. Anyway, we get to, to Sydney and we literally just watch our savings dwindle. And we're there for about three and a half months. And, uh, and I'm just like, oh, DJ, we've got $124.72 left. And Leah's like, that's it. What are we going to do? I'm like, oh, uh, I don't know. She goes, did you hear from God? I'm, I thought I did. And uh, so that Sunday we're walking out of church and Pastor Phil's uh, assistant, Die Payne says, oh, Pastor Juergen, uh, Pastor Phil wants to see you in his office. I'm like, oh, shoot, what have I done? Because usually that was, you know, if I was in the office, I was in trouble. That was like my whole high school testimony. And uh, so I'm trying to think, what have I done? The Holy Spirit's like trying to help me going, you haven't done anything. You know, so I'm like, Shh, Holy Spirit, stay out of this. You know, I've got to try and figure out an excuse of what, how it was already, it was already broken when I got there. You know, what? What was broken? Oh, something's broken. Oh, I didn't know. Who said anything was broken? I don't know. You know, you, anyway, and so, you know, so I'm going, so he gets, I get there, and he's like, uh, he's like, yeah, hey, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. <laughs> kind of decided, yeah, you're going to be the youth pastor guy. Yeah, you know, the guys, yeah, you know, uh, not only hire from the outside, but, uh, yeah, you start Monday. I'm like, start Monday, woo And I'm walking in, he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, hey, you got a car? I said, oh, yeah, we got, you know, we bought bought one to get around. Yeah, well, you know, the board decided, you know, as a youth pastor, you need a car, so it comes with a car. The car we got compared to the car we sowed? <laughs> I'm like Leanne, you little faith. <laughs> <laughs> the hell wrong with you, girl? And uh, now, now, how many people know those who sow in tears reap in joy? If I would have known what was coming, man, I would have given like a few cars away. Hello, you know, driving me a Maserati now. Yes, you know, like, anyway, but, but, but God will always ask, test you here, but it's not He's on. Not trying to get something from you, he's trying to get something to you. Trying to get something to you. So, so we did, you know, we did seven incredible years that were just rebuilding years. Can, can I just tell you that God will always, He's always testing to, to trust. God, God has a purpose for your life, but you've got to let Him process you in that purpose. This is, this is Isaiah. Isaiah started serving God, but now in a year of national tragedy, King Uzziah, Has died. Uzziah was an extraordinary king. He became king when he was 16 years old, just a teenager. They took him and they made him king at 16. And uh, he was an incredible king. The Bible says he loved the soil, some of the richest vineyards and orchards still today he planted. He he built viaducts and aqueducts and learned how to reroute and redistribute the water so that Israel was so, so prosperous. He was a a man of incredible invention and innovation. He created weapons of wars like the catapult and all these things where they could just devastate their enemies. They took towns that the Philistines and uh, the Syrians had had captured from them. They took them back and uh, just increased Israel's territory. Well, now he died. And so in a year where everybody else is mourning, Isaiah sees God. Everyone else is seeing loss. Everyone's seeing hopelessness. Man, who's going to replace him? Who can be a king like him? But he sees God seated on a throne. How many people know that when you and I go through crises, God is still on his throne? Come on. The Bible says that the Lord sat enthroned in the flood. Well, Noah's having to navigate 200 foot tidal waves. God his feet weren't even wet as He was sitting on the throne. God is, God is always on the throne. He is always in control, even when our lives feel out of control. God is always in a seat and position of power, even when you feel overwhelmed and powerless. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. So it I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on a throne. The train of His robe filled the temple. Heaven always touches earth. God's always got an investment in earth. And he says, I saw the seraphim, six wings, two face, two they cover feet, two they fly, pick up a coal. And I'm like, man, who am I? Man, I I dwell in the midst of unclean lips. And I'm a man of unclean lips. I, I, I'm just like my culture. The culture has crept into me. And then the angel touches his lips, says, behold, your sin is purged. Your iniquity is taken away. And then I heard the Lord Saying, who can I send? Who can go? He began to hear the heartbeat of God. And I love it because he lifts his hand and says, here I am. Send me. I will go. I love, I love this because the first area that I think serving deals with is the heart. Yeah. The first area that, God, that serving deals with is the heart. See, the world promotes on gift, but God promotes on heart. Yeah. We have stars in Hollywood we have pop stars, music stars, country music stars, because the world is obsessed with gift, with gifting. The reason this is the case is because Lucifer was cast into the earth incredibly gifted, no character. We know he had no character because he went from Lucifer, light bearer, to Satan, accuser, uncoverer, nasty piece of work. But his gifts were still there. God, The Bible says the gifts of God are... Uh, without repentance, God doesn't remove your gift, even if your character goes. That's why. That's why a lot of the devil steals the gifts out of a house and puts them in, you know, in in Hollywood platforms. But but the world is obsessed with gift because it's been I- infected with a luciferic mindset. God is not impressed with gift because it's a gift. It was His before it was yours. So a lot of people are like, oh God, you. You must be pretty impressed with my gift. And God's like, no, 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 uh, it was mine. I gave it to you. Yeah, but I did it my. Yeah, 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 I, 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 I gave you the gift to sing. It was mine. I gave it to you. Yeah, but you've got to be so impressed. No, no, I'm not, no. What part? No, look, I'm not impressed because I had it for thousands of years and then I decided to give it to you. So it doesn't impress me. Gift doesn't impress God. Character. Character impresses God because God can't give you character. Character you only get by yielding to God. You only develop character by dying to yourself and putting God first. Pastor Phil says integrity is siding with God against yourself. Integrity is siding with God or with his word against yourself. And so so character is something you can develop. Character pleases God. In the kingdom, God looks at heart. God says, I've looked for a a man to be king over Israel, a man after my own heart. God saw the heart of David. He saw the heart of Eliab. And and God said, do not look at him uh, to to, uh, the prophet Samuel. I have rejected him. God does not see as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. On the outside, he looks like he's got it all together. But I, the Lord, look at the heart. God always elevates on heart. What I love about uh, Isaiah is he says, God, here I am. Send me. I will go. Nowhere does it say what he was being sent to. It wasn't like God was like, you know, I need somebody to carry the burden of being incredibly good-looking and ridiculously wealthy and live in a beautiful palace with millions of... That's... He doesn't know what. He may be, I need somebody who will go and be a martyr. I need somebody who will go and be a Rosa Parks that you know you ain't got no more back of the bus left in you and you refuse to move. And because of that, they're going to arrest you. But that's going to cause the, the Alabama, it's going to change the the, the, the fabric. It, it may be a Martin Luther King on April 4, you're assassinated. But the assassination is so unjust that it flips the tables on the question of equality in this. Isaiah's got his hand up because he's like, it don't matter what you're asking, here I, do you know so many Christians that I've met Sadly, ha- have grown up in the in the, the Christian conference junkie mindset. They they, they, they want to do something for God. They want to do something for God, but they don't they don't want to be willing to do anything for God. Uh, you know, oh no, I don't I don't do bathrooms, pastor. Oh no no, I don't do I don't do uh, uh, children's church, pastor. I don't do parking lot. See, I'm an apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, <laughs> pastoral teacher. I only do the platform, and if you've got a TV show, I'm your man. I do high-profile. See, here's what I've discovered: if if you want to do something, and you, if you'll only do something, you'll never get to do anything. But if you're willing to do anything, then you'll get to do something for God. When I went to Bible school, when I went to Bible school, uh, the, the truth is, man, I was so intimidated. Because there were, there were kids who were, you know, second year, uh, second generation, third generation, couple even fourth generation PKs, pastor's kids. They'd grown up in church. They all knew all the nuances, all the kind, all the rhythms, all the, the ethics. I, I, I got saved on a beach. I had no idea. I remember one of the other Bible College students said, Jurgs, you're, you're brilliant. Come and speak at my youth camp. So I did their youth camp. It was on a Saturday, on the on weekend, Friday night, Saturday, and it was in their church building. And I had no idea that, uh, that the word uh, for donkeys in the Old King James Asses, donkeys, it's donkeys in the old king. I had no idea that was a cuss word, so I'm preaching on heroes, you know, to teenagers. So, some you know, I'm preaching and back then, it's the 90s. Some talking about, like, yeah, you know, some of you guys, like, you guys like Arnold Station Wagon, has the La Vista baby, get in the chopper, this is the deer, the governor of California, you know, I'm, you know, so I'm some preaching like, some of you, you know, he's your hero, others, it's Sylvester Stallone, you know, Rambo, you know, like, you know, and uh. Don't matter how hard you get hit, kid. You know, you know and then, uh, and then, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme. So I'm going through all these heroes. I'm like, man, my hero kicks all there. And this kid on the front row just goes like this and then runs out. He was the pastor's kid, went and told his dad, Dad, there's someone in church swearing. You know, someone cussing. So, you know, I finished preaching the, the sermon and the the my friend goes, oh, look, you know, it was a great sermon. We can't have you back. You can't cast. I'm like, oh, I wasn't cussing. He goes, yeah, you were cussing all the way through. You kept Tell me how Jesus kicks there. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, man. So true story, I'm at Bible college on Monday thinking, Flip, I'm just a waste of space. Like, what's a Man, look at what these people have got. And, and I, you know, like I reckon I was like, could have easily been talked into just, hey, just give it away, go back to engineering. But the Holy Spirit's so beautiful. He's your helper. And he said, Jürgen, you, stop comparing. You can't go rewrite history. They're second generation, third generation, fourth generation, your first generation. Your dad was an atheist, you just got saved. Yes, we've got to work on your cussing, yes. <laughs> he says, but you can get an advantage over all of these kids. I said, how? He says, you can out-obey them. You may not be able to out-pedigree those guys, but you can out-obey them. So when they needed volunteers because they had a shortage in uh, New Christians follow-up, I put my hand up. I thought, I can do that. When they needed somebody to spend their entire Tuesday afternoon making cold calls to people who responded on the weekend, nobody wanted to do that, calling people, hey, you raise your hand, hey, you first time in church, would you come to our New Christians? Nobody wanted to do it. They had... I, I'll do it. When they needed somebody to sweep the, the yeah, yeah. I, I can do it. I begin to get noticed by the people because they saw, wow, he, here's a guy who's just, he'll just do anything. Everywhere we go, we see this one kid. He might cuss a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> don't let him appreciate you. You, that's for sure. <laughs> but he just keeps turning up. He keeps just willing to do anything. If he can do anything, maybe let's give him something that he can do. The keys are up and I'm on point one. Uh, point number two is vision. Heart. Point number one is heart. Point number two is vision. See, he saw God. The danger with seeing God is you actually see yourself because we're made in His image and in His likeness. As you begin to see the perfection of God, we begin to see the imperfection, the broken, the dysfunctional, the depravity of our own state. No sooner does Isaiah see God that he sees himself as a man of unclean lips dwelling in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Man, I'm just like my culture. I've realized the world has had more influence over my life than your word, and it feels so overwhelmed. What's so beautiful about God is it wasn't Isaiah going to the altar with tongs it was a seraphim of his own initiative directed by God takes coals and pulls takes tongs and pulls a coal out comes and touches his lips it says behold this coal has touched your lips your iniquity taken away your sin purged what i found is that God perfects as he processes This is Isaiah chapter six. There's five chapters where Isaiah is already serving God. God perfects as he processes. You don't have to be perfect to start serving. You don't have to have it all together. You may be coming through a messy divorce. You may have walked in still struggling with an addiction. Let me just tell you something. Start serving. Don't wait till you, the devil's a liar. He says, no, 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 wait till you got it together. Wait till, you're not good. No, no, you start serving. You start, you put your hand to the plow now. God will perfect you as he goes. You'll find there's an encounter. You'll find an angel will come and touch your lips, will touch your mouth. Man, I'm not cussing. Man, what happened? God God perfects as He goes. The last one, point number three is is lips, what you speak. Here's the thing, the church loses its power. You and I lose our power over the world if the same language of the world is the language coming out of our mouth. Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem till you receive power. When the day of Pentecost came, they all spoke in tongues. I thought Jesus was talking about power. He was. Where was it? It was in the languages they were speaking. He, he, he got them to speak in languages they didn't understand. Why? So they couldn't ruin it. The Bible says, He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men. Indeed, he speaks to God. With his spirit, he utters mysteries. See, it was a mystery how a kid who grew up in the home of a, a German atheist could get saved on a beach and then be trusted with a mission and assignment to win a city called San Diego. It's a mystery to me. But the most beautiful thing is, ah, oh, his domain is mysteries. So 2nd of January 1989, God fills me baptized with the Holy Spirit where I start it mm-hmm. starts speaking in languages I've never learned. He who speaks in the tongue doesn't speak to men. None of your beeswax speaks to God. Yeah. With his spirit, he utters mysteries. What mystery? The mystery of how can... The, an 18 year old son of an East German atheist end up in San Diego with this, how can that it's a mystery, it's a mystery to you and I but mysteries, that's what the Holy Ghost it's not just Scooby Doo and the crazy clue, crew, is also the Holy Ghost that loves to, to fulfill mysteries so if, if, I, if in this church we echo the, the language of the world, hopeless, helpless, the future is bleak, oh man, there's a recession, the economy, then, then we are no good. If it's the same temperature inside as it outside, we're no good. But if, 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 when you walk in, it there's faith, hope and love. With God, all things are possible. God says, when you bring the tithe, God says, test me if I'll not throw open the windows of heaven. You know why the windows of heaven? Because man has figured out how to tax the earth. Man has figured out how to get his hands on the stuff in the soil, the stuff in the ground, but man can't touch the heavens. The heavens are God's domain. So God says, when you bring your tithe into the storehouse, test me now on this. Ain't nobody taxing, ain't nobody interfering, ain't nobody intervening. Uh, If I wanna throw open the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing, there's not room enough to contain it. All of a sudden you find you walk into this place, the language of the world may be hopeless, but here it's hopeful. The language of the world may be despondent and negative, but here it's full of faith. It's full of victory. There's something different. you find you're singing songs about how great is our God. Our God is an awesome God. You know, He, he reigns in power and might. We, we, we begin to sing songs of wide open spaces, and He leads me out, and He leads me in. And, and a God who always leads us through triumph in Christ Jesus, and all of a sudden you start singing a different song, because what you sing about, you bring about. Sing, O barren, and you have not bought that God wants to change your language. He had to do this with me. I've got to finish on this story. When I, was, uh, when I was serving Pastor Phil, I kept getting these prophetic words about God was raising me up to be a prophetic voice to this generation. God was raising me up to be a prophetic voice for this generation. I see television. I see. I kept getting these words. Well, anyway, after you know seven or eight years of this, Melissa, I'm like, okay, God, <laughs> no more. Okay, no more. Done. Done on all these prophecies. You know, rather than just tell me what you're going to do, why don't you just—why don't you just, novel idea—get around to doing it? Just, you know, as though as as though God is somewhat slow on the uptake, and so God had to kind of have a little bit of a, you know, for me a come to Jesus again moment, and He's like, actually, uh, Jurks, it's not me that's the problem. You. Uh, what way? He goes, "Uh, how can I elevate you to be a prophet to the nations? when you haven't dealt with this lying thing. Because, you know, I grew up in a home where, you know, my mother lied to her parents about being pregnant with my little brother so that they could move, migrate from Germany to Australia because there's no way my Oma and Opa would have let her go if they would have known she was, so she had to hide the pregnancy. Even when I was conceived, I was conceived out of marriage. And so, so my mom hide and lied so it was, just, it was just in my mother. And she got me many times, I should have been expelled, but she lied to the principal. And so I thought, man, this lying thing works. And so, so I just adopted it. I thought, you know, I was good at it. I remember going to the mall, you know, with my friends, Jerry and Dago, and I'm like, this is awesome. And uh, why don't, hey guys, why don't we just for fun pretend I'm blind and see how much free stuff we can get. So I'm just walking around pretending I'm blind and walking into things and, you know, and stuff. And, and it's so easy. To so pretend that you're blind. When you talk to someone, you just never look in, in the eyes. Because if you look in their eyes, you can see. So you don't know where their eyes are. So and so anyway, I'm just a, I got into this whole thing. And so people thought I was blind. And I ended up getting all this free stuff. And, and all my friends, like, man, you're the man, you're the man. And I loved it. I loved, you know, kind of being the guy. I remember it served me well. I remember one time sleeping in through my alarm for a prayer meeting that was meant to be at the pastor was mad. And I thought, what do I do? So I quickly rubbed my hands on the wheel of my car, ran in. He's like, Where are you? You're late. Flat tire, flat tire. You know, why are you looking at me like that? I'm sure you've told a fib. I feel so judged up here. Oh my! Anyway, all right, I'll get to the point. So, so Pastor Phil has us doing this this uh, this fast, and so I start calling out to God, saying, "God, you know, I repent. I know it. Lying's wrong. Uh, even when it, okay, even when it helps me, you know." Uh. You know, what about, okay, even then, oh man, you know, and uh, what about like facts in the way of a good story? Oh shoot, even then, you know, and so anyway, so so I'm having this having this moment. Now, I can't tell you whether I believe I was awake. I may have been asleep, but I believe I was awake. About the third night of this fast, I wake up, I believe I woke up, and there was a there was a, I had fear going through my body and I thought, man, what is that? And I woke up. I felt like I woke up out of my sleep and there was a being directly hovering parallel horizontal over me. He had the most stunning. It looked like pools of water eyes. Just beautiful face hovering over me. And I freaked out and uh, and as I went to speak, he got his hand in a fist and instead of punching me in the mouth it went into my mouth all the way down into my, into my, felt like into my stomach and then he began to do this and this ribbon was that's all I can comprehend it was like a ribbon flying out of my flying out of my and he's just this crimson ribbon ah, oh hey, who are you here Who's, and they trying to talk to you you in your mouth locked, you can't talk and I'm like, it's like getting at the dentist. And I'm like, what is it? And so he just like for about, it seemed like for about 10 minutes, his stuff is just flying out, flying out, flying out, flying out, flying. And I remember the colour, was like this real strong crimson. And all of a sudden, finally, the, the last bit comes out. And I looked at him and I was like freaked out. I'm like, what was that? And he said, deceit. And then he vanished. And whether, whether it happened in, the dream state or whether I was awake or not, all I know is from that moment on I felt like Jim Carrey in Liar Liar where he's got the red pen and he's trying to write, the the pen is blue and he's like, the pen is red! I can't lie! That's how I felt. I felt like after that, like even just the slightest, the slightest embellishment or exaggeration was like God had to deal with But as you begin to serve, God will perfect as He processes. I'm not sure if you're serving yet. This is not an enlistment because we need stuff done and we need to raise up a mobile army. No, no, this is about you. This is about getting you, unlocking the gifts, unlocking the calling, unlocking the purpose, unlocking the plans of God. If you're not serving, you're shortcutting yourself. Go out there, get, get go to the, the table, say, hey, where can I serve? You watch what God unfolds in your life, amen? We're out of time. Come on, if you receive that, give God a clap this morning. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com.